Today we will be talking to Lawrence, the founder of E-Day, and he will be telling us about his career and why he wanted to help with the e-waste problem. Lawrence is the chairperson of the E-Day New Zealand Trust, which advocates for sustainable and responsible collection and recycling in New Zealand. Today we're going to be asking him why it stopped and why it started. What happened, this goes back to 2006 when there were e-waste collections happening in Australia uh, where they were running community collections and they were having sort of just sessions within communities, but they were going to car parks and things like that. And we thought that was a pretty cool idea. So we invited Dell computers that were running it at the time and they said, oh, we'll do one in New Zealand. So they came over and hosted a collection event. And so we very much on what they were doing in Australia. It was a one-day event. It had lots of publicity around it. People would bring a drive to a place where there was a, the collection point. They wouldn't get out of their cars. And they weren't allowed out of their cars. People, There were volunteers there who would help people remove the equipment from the car and put it onto pallets or put it into containers. And we had some people there that were sort of surveying them to ask them what they thought about e-waste at that time. And also others counting the equipment that was collected. And so that was sort of the first one in 2006. And then it was only in Wellington and it was done down at the stadium here. How did this work affect other communities? Other communities sort of said, oh, well, have you got, we'd like to do that too because that's a good way to sort of actually bring people in to sort of, because we found out most people didn't know what to do. We had computers or, or computer screens. It wasn't around other types of electronic waste. And they were storing them because they didn't know what to do with them. So this was a way to say, hey, one day a year, come on down and drop them off. We had written a report for the Ministry of Environment and said, the way to solve this is to get the producers to pay, build it in the cost of the product. Everybody can take it back easily and get it recycled. And we thought that would take about six months to do. From We wrote the report in July 2006, and we thought it would all be in place by December 2006. Here we are, we're nearly 2026, and we're nearly 20 years later. And we still don't have product stewardship schemes in place. <laughs> it's still relying on people to go to whatever local community sort of collection events there are. With all of this going on, how would you compare other countries to New Zealand? There's more and more electronic waste coming in. We need to do something about this because New Zealand at that point, you know, was not doing anything. And other countries were, Europe, the Europeans, the Australians, Americans, Southeast Asia. Most countries in the world were starting to have electronic waste recoveries. So we ran E-Days for five years through till 2010 was the last one. And they were always waiting for, oh, for government to pick up this and take it the next stage. So I think the biggest challenge has been not in actually running the E-Day event. It's sort of been in getting the government to move on it because even industry the manufacturers they all said oh well we don't mind we'll put an extra 30 dollars on all of our bits of equipment we're happy to do that provided everybody does it it has to be a level playing field no one manufacturer said well we'll put our prices up unless our competitors do so that but that a government regulation to do that they and said we won't do it unless we have to so the biggest challenge has been getting the government to come to the party to do their part of it, because they're the only ones that can actually get mandatory.
Is government issues the only thing or how does cost affect the problem? A lot of the electronic waste, particularly old cathode ray tube screens, things like this, they cost more to recycle them. You've got to dismantle them. You've got to transport them. And all those costs are more than you can sell the scrap for. So that's the problem. It costs money to recycle and keep this stuff out of landfill. So here we are nearly 20 years later, but it'll still be a couple of years before this becomes mandatory. You know, we're looking towards about 2025, 2026, by which stage it'll become mandatory to have these recovery schemes in place. With all this effort, why did E-Day stop? We thought we were only going to do it for one or two years. We did it for five, and because it costs money, even running, you've got to have, you've got containers that need to be shifted around. You need trucks to carry the containers. You need partners like Kiwi Rail. We're a fantastic partner. They shifted all the containers full of e-waste all up to Auckland, where it was going to be, where it was processed. So it was all about the money. The government contributed quite a lot of the money, but so did a lot of businesses and communities, local authorities, local councils. So Everyone sort of put something on the table, but it still needed injection. And we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars, not sort of just $10, uh, quite a lot of money that is needed to run an E-Day event and make sure that all the waste, everything that's collected is sent for, for recycling. The whole point of E-Day was to keep electronic waste out of landfills. So, and that cost money. So someone had to pay for that. And the government was a big partner in it and they decided not to fund it anymore. They said, oh, we would like E-Day to be not just one day, but E-Day every day. Right? People should be able to do this every day. And we totally agree, they should. But of course, there were no opportunities for them to do that. Did the government help find any other e-waste schemes? So they they backed some other schemes like the TV take back. That came a bit later in 2012, 13, something like that. Uh, it was when we were shifting from analog to digital TV. So we all had TVs that didn't work anymore. So they've put a lot of money into the take back of TVs. We didn't deal with TVs, so, so it was only computer equipment to deal with the e-waste sort of properly. And there were these other schemes starting to come up. They wanted people to pay to actually dispose of their e-waste. But we know from other countries and other around the world, yeah, some people will, but most people won't. They'll, especially ones that sort of think they've bought this equipment for $1,000 or in the old days, in the you know, 20 over 25 years ago, you'd pay a couple of thousand dollars for a computer. So they knew they'd paid a lot of money and they said, now you want me to pay more money to get rid of it? Get real, you know, get real. You know, I'm not going to do that. So it has to be free in our view to for any scheme to work, in which case someone's got to pay. So it's it looks free to the consumer, but it's not really. It's been built into the product. Mm. How efficient do you think it was? Incredible, incredibly efficient because... Because we were using so many volunteers, you know, a lot of voluntary effort, a lot of corporate funds. When, when we looked at the how much it cost, you know, while it was hundreds of thousands of dollars, it was very small compared to when the government tried to fund the whole thing by running like the TV take back scheme. You know, it was millions of dollars, millions to sort of. So 
I think running a community-based event, and of course, all our volunteers that came in, the, I think we had 2,000 people in 2010 around the country helping out. Now, if we were going to pay them all a day's wages, what's a day's wages times 2,000 people? <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lot of money. And so, of course, we didn't, people just did that voluntarily. So I think that's a big advantage of a community led event which is run it's not a it's not a, a not-for-profit arrangement so i think the idea of community collection events like that are incredibly sort of are incredibly efficient and um, the big cost that you've got to cover really is the cost of local sort of transport and the cost of promoting it you know the actual it becomes a, it's like a communications a marketing event more than a electronic waste event you've got to we were trying to educate people about you know here, here do not take your e-waste to landfill here's something practical you can do you can on this day bring it down and dispose of it and you can be assured this will be properly recycled the materials will be extracted they can be reused for and new products it's not going to landfill so that was sort of the promise that we had. So I think community events like this are, are incredibly efficient to replace it all commercially. You know, it's 10 times the cost. Mm. How do you think the way to deal with this recycling cost would be? That's what this product stewardship is about. Because what that means, basically, the costs fall on the producer. So the manufacturers who are producing electronic gear we want saying if you're going to take responsibility for this when it reaches when it's no longer needed and there's going to be a cost in that disposal we want you as manufacturers to pay that cost so they they say well that's not a problem as i mentioned earlier on all they need to do is put another we think it's about another 30 dollars. so if you put another 30 dollars on your ipad or on your cell phone you know, you as a consumer or your parents would probably never notice it. An extra $30, get that built in so that when it comes to an electronic waste thing, the money's already there. The manufacturers have sort of put it aside. So the recyclers who come along or the people who come and collect the e-waste, they need to be paid for what they, the job that they do. So they have now got a funding pool and it's still free to the consumer consumer never knows this this is all happening in the back back end so so that's the, it's the only solution to do not only with electronic waste additionally it's the same with tires it's the same with agricultural chemicals it's the same there's whole lots of waste streams that we have in this country well everybody around the world has got them but we've got them too that we have to somehow or another sort of pay for at end of life and the only way is to build that into the price of the goods up front so that's solutions easy it's just hard been 20 years trying to get it in place <laughs> how has this field of work impacted your life i've been in the in the electronic sort of industry through telecom and things like that for all my life so i've probably spent 50 60 years promoting technology and saying look technology is good for us it can help us it can make our lives better it's there. And one day back in 2006, I was providing a whole lot of equipment to schools up in the East Coast. A whole, they had no no computers, no anything. So I was getting old refer equipment, getting it refurbished, and we we're deploying it in the schools. And one of the principal came to me cut back a few years after I'd given it to her, about five years later, and said, you remember all that equipment you gave us or got for us? 
well, we don't want it anymore. Come and take it away. And that was really the wake up call for me to say, hang on, I, uh, yeah, I've done you a favor here. <laughs> and it sort of was that, that transforming thinking, well, that she was actually right in terms of the principle was sort of saying, yeah, I, I was a pro provider, even though I wasn't the manufacturer. And so when she sort of said, come and take it away, I said, actually, you're absolutely right. I've been, I'm part of the process of actually getting this computer equipment into your school. So I've got to take some responsibility for taking it away. So then I started working with recyclers who would take it away and who would return it. So the recycler we work with at the moment or any equipment they provide, they guarantee to take it back. They'll take it back at the end of life and they will take responsibility for recycling it really. But that's what doesn't, you know, that's quite rare. You know, most, if you go to Noel Eming or to Harvey Norman or any of the retailers, you try and take it back to them and say, oh, I bought this from you five years ago. Take it back. I'm going to leave it outside your front door because I don't want it anymore. You deal with it. And of course, they'll say, they'll go and report you for leaving junk outside their shop. So you'll be in trouble. So the it's about that sort of process of actually having that, you know, that responsibility to sort of deal with things. So I think the impact on for me really has been if we want to promote technology, and many of us do in this country, there's a lot of providers of technology. And I think we've all got to share this responsibility to actually deal with the mess we're creating. Do you like having that responsibility? Or what's your favourite part of working in the industry? Favourite part is doing something really practical. You know, I like doing stuff that's, I don't like just talking about it. You know, a lot of people talk about this. There's a lot of talk goes on, but not many people do stuff. And I think that's what I like. Go do some, do some practical things, you know, go and have you ever asked your neighbours, you know, have you got any electronic waste sitting around in your garage? Can I help you get rid of it? I know what to do with it. I could take it to Wastebusters. I could do something. So if people could do something practical, really, around it, I think that's not only is it really satisfying to do that. And New Zealanders are really keen. They're, they're good at this. We like to help our neighbours. We like to do things. But we have to know, first of all, are we doing the right thing or are we just adding to the problem, really? Are we just shifting it from their garage to our garage and it stays in our garage? Or do we actually know how to take it, where to take it? We know what's going to happen to it when we give it to Wastebusters. We, do we know what happens to it once it gets to Wastebusters? What do they do with it? Do they just take it down the landfill or do they work with a national recycler who pays for the cost of transport to get it to somewhere? What happens when it's shipped offshore? If it goes to another country, is it sort of harming some other country or is it actually going through proper recycling processes? So there's there's a lot of that people don't know, frankly. It's a lot of mystery. And I think that's sort of part of what we need to sort of understand. If we can do that, I think we can sleep easy at night. We can feel good about that we've actually contributed something to society.
Thank you so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed learning about how E-Day started. Some of the main things to think about from this podcast is how the new and old technology is playing a part in this e-waste problem. The problem is not only affecting our community, but the world. E-Day lasted for five years and it made an impact, but why not start by making an impact by yourself? If you have any broken computers or ones you don't use and you live in the Otago Basin, take them to Liger Academy in Five Mile or send us an email about it at ewaste at We will repair them and give them to people in need.